Hello and welcome to episode 28 of Booze, Booms and Busts, the podcast where we discuss market events while quaffing a few beers. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Volkering. Sam, how are you getting on and what is your take on uh, you know, the, the upcoming sequel to Warhammer 40k, Bitcoin 40k? <laughs> Uh, well, for, I'm I'm very well, thank you, and I'm very happy to be back in the new year. Last last our last podcast was in 2020. Feels like we're on a different planet now in 2021. Uh, so excited for what the year has in stock, uh, and and for our readers, uh, readers for our listeners to uh, to listen to us bang on and talk about beers in markets uh, for the next. Uh, 52 weeks <laughs> um but yeah bitcoin 40k and it's not uh it's not the upcoming sequel uh it's the it's the recently debuted it's the it's it's had its night on the red carpet and we're we're now past the premiere yeah the prep that's that's the word i was looking for let's see that this is the kind of this is the kind of quality that you add to this podcast yeah. <laughs> uh the premiere has has been and gone actually we're now we're now uh, what Bitcoin forty one k and rising, mm. but I will add, and I do want to make this point very clear from the outset, that I see it as not Bitcoin rising in value, but more specifically fiat money crashing in value relative to Bitcoin. So that's just something for for people to ponder over. But anyway, I'm I'm looking forward to some beers tonight and uh, and rambling on about the market. Yeah, it has been uh, quite a opening week for 2021. If you are listening to this, uh, hopefully it's not been quite so chaotic for you as it uh, you know it appears to be in certain parts of the world. Uh, maybe uh, you know it is quite quite wild to see what was going on in Washington D.C. Uh, hopefully everybody uh, everybody who is listening to this podcast has uh, has had you know a gentle start to the year. Or if you're a Bitcoin investor that you've uh, you know you've been uh, thoroughly enjoying and maybe maybe taking some profits off the table, maybe not, maybe being uh, maybe even buy more. I mean, who is it who is actually buying more Bitcoin at forty one thousand dollars? I uh, I find that an interesting when the price is that high. I think find it an interesting prospect when you see a chart go parabolic. You always wonder who is it that keeps on buying you know at the top of the parabolic chart. It hasn't really gone parabolic though. I mean, it's like this is so when you look at the, the wider, bigger charts, it's actually a reasonably steady move. Uh, when you look at it in, in, on a log chart, I think that's the other thing is, is the, where people get maybe tripped up a little bit is constantly looking at it in a linear chart perspective relative to something like the US dollar. Um, when you look at the log charts on it, okay, it, it, it you know it certainly has taken a bit of a notch higher, but it's not like it's not like crazy crazy at the moment. It's just that the values and numbers that we talk about now relative to like the US dollar is just crazy, right? So like a two percent move at forty k is a, you know that's a truck ton of, of of money in terms of US dollar perspective, but it's two percent move. Um, and you know like yeah, well, it's just over the last of last three weeks. It's not like you know it's not just a series of two percent moves. No, it's like a hundred percent in like three weeks. Yeah, which is pretty, which is pretty nuts. It's I like think Tesla the, going from, I think exactly, yeah, exactly, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing Bitcoin here. It's the, it's the, it's just the aggressive speed at the at which it's happened. I don't think yeah. the price so much is uh, is what makes me think this is 
uh, sort of unsustainable. It's the speed with which it's occurred. So the so sure. you know it's not the um, you know if we if we imagine if we're looking at it on a chart, right? It's sort of the angle of the of the curve going up, which yeah. looked pretty parabolic to me. You know, if you go for a log chart, yeah. <laughs> but log charts are that's kind of what log charts are like anyway. I mean, there are very few assets that uh, are aggressively going up in in log terms, apart from the likes of Tesla. But yeah, it's just the speed with which it's occurred. Uh, for mm. me, is what yeah, it's what uh, makes me like, like think that something something strange has occurred. So um, there was some interesting um, data out of chain analysis recently, which looked at the uh, the data blockchain data going back through December about how uh, there's been an increase actually in whales taking mm. Bitcoin off exchanges, yeah. which I found very interesting. So you've had new buying in the market, and a lot of it's new fiat in the market. It's not just uh, Tether and the like. But uh, effectively, the existing you know, day traders and the sort of medium-term investors, uh, like the new buyers exhausted the supply from the, mm. from the people who are actively you know, <clears throat> in the market creating liquidity. And as a result, more, more Bitcoin was obviously required, and this came from outside. But at the same time, you're seeing whales, uh, you know, so you're seeing wallets with more than, you know, uh, 100,000 Bitcoin, things like that. Uh, well, more than 1,000 Bitcoin, uh, yeah. you know, absorbing more from exchanges, which I find very interesting. You know, there are so many sort of, sort of hidden things that you don't, you don't know what the, um, what the attitude of the player is. It's even yeah. more opaque, in, even though it's a public blockchain, it's even more opaque in some ways than um, traditional markets in that people are always talking their book in traditional markets. Whereas Bitcoin whales are mute. I mean, it's like they are actually whales. Like they're just underwater. They, you, know, you occasionally hear a bit of, a bit of song here and there. Um, but it just seems like to me that supply has just become a big issue. There's yeah, not absolutely. much. In terms of recently issued Bitcoin that's trading around, you know, re recently minted, like there's you know, so a lot of Bitcoin supply uh, that's been minted in the last you know, two or three years. Yeah. You know, there's not enough of it really to, to deal with it. So there's all this dead supply. Well, it's not dead, but you know, it's in cold storage or it, you know, some of it's been lost and things like that. But that's not coming to market. Like the, the HODL yep. mentality really is, is a thing and people just sit on it. Yeah, it is. Which and is um, I, think, I think that that, that, that could, uh, there's, there's some, there are things that, that, we need, that we need, that people need to sort of think about and talk about with a longer term view on this is that if we do find that there are, whales that are holding these large positions um so for a start they've they've had to come to the market new so we've sort of talked about it before in that the early adopters of bitcoin didn't tend to be institutions or big um you know multinationals or anything like you know publicly listed companies and so the acquisition of the bitcoin is fresh bitcoin supply from miners um, which is, you know, there's only a certain amount you're, that they can buy until they need to start buying it off of those that are holding it. And so they're probably buying it off of those that have been holding it for a long term, that are, you know, original whales that are now looking to wind off their positions. But it's interesting because, and it's, it's interesting to watch the market dynamics play out with this because we are talking about, you know, big companies now starting to look at getting big positions in Bitcoin and just some companies just looking to get a position in Bitcoin, but the supply is just simply not there for them either. So they're having to buy from what I can only assume to be a, the, once the you know mining supply is sort of dried up from, from holders and that's, and with holders with a, 
with a hodl mentality, uh, it, it, it's the ultimate, you know, basic demand and supply squeeze, right? Which is driving, which is driving the price. Yeah. So this was a this was a stat I thought, which is quite quite revealing in a way, and I think it does it does speak to all manner of the different attitudes we're seeing represented. So uh, this is from chain analysis, just from one of their uh, one of their research notes, and this is just over the over December, Bitcoin withdrawals from exchanges for less than ten thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin fell twenty two percent while withdrawals from exchanges of more than $10,000 increased by 9% and more than $1 million by 32% in December relative to the prior three-month average, suggesting institutional rather than retail buyers. Whale wallets, those holding more than 1,000 Bitcoin, received 731,000 Bitcoin from exchanges in December, absorbing one-third of exchange withdrawals. So you see that um, you know, people who have less than $10,000 worth of Bitcoin aren't taking their Bitcoin off exchanges, well, broadly. Um, withdrawals are more than that. So there are some people, more than $10,000. Some people are taking a bit of profits. Uh, profits is increased by 9%. That's still not that much considering the price rise during December. Um, but then people with more than a million dollars worth of BTC, um, you know, a third of them increased like that. Well, you know, it increased by a third during December, which, uh, you know, I wonder what it is that is going on with that. Because sure, if you, if you, I mean, it could be Machiavellian and, you know, you're deliberately reducing the amount of supply if you're pulling it out of an exchange. So, you know, either the exchange can't borrow your, your Bitcoin and hypothecate it away if you're doing something like that. Um, and, but at the same time, if you consider the price increase that must have gone on there, I imagine a lot of people who own a lot of Bitcoin would be feeling like, wow, this is actually a huge amount of money now. I don't think I should actually be holding it all on exchange that's because right, that's yeah. kind of, you know, that could, that could actually be really dangerous if something yeah. happens with the exchange. Third, third party what, what do you What do you think that's actually driving that? Yeah, yeah, the counterparty, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the counterparty risk. I mean, it's, 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 the, it's the fact, I think it's, I think it's just that. I just think that if, if you had, I mean, if, you know, if you had a million dollars worth of Bitcoin, um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't hold it on an exchange. If you wanted some short-term uh, you know, if you wanted access to some short-term funds, uh, then you would. So like Coinbase, for instance, right? If you wanted, if you had a million, million dollars worth of Bitcoin, you wouldn't hold it on Coinbase. But at the same time, we can't deny the fact that we live in a world that requires fiat money to pay for things like food and groceries. Um, so you, maybe you would hold 10,000 pounds on your Coinbase account that's linked to a Coinbase card. And when you've got to go buy some milk, you use it. <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe that's that the true believers are the ones that, that actually yeah. use it. Um, but I, I think it's more a security and safety sort of thing. And that I, I, I think that actually most of the deals, uh, and I don't know if the chain analysis takes this into account, uh, the OTC or, or the, the true peer-to-peer -peer deals where, you know, some of the institutions are buying up, not on exchanges. They're buying them from, yep. from others that, maybe looking that other whales that are looking to wind off some position um and you know and pay off you know their million pound mortgage or whatever or buy a london townhouse or something you know so that they're they're buying other assets or artwork or things like that right they're buying other assets in the economy and using their windfalls to do that without completely eliminating their position because i mean at the end of the day bitcoin's really no different to any other asset is that human beings, we are invested in these things or we utilize these instruments 
to do stuff and buy stuff with or to pass down to it to maybe the next generation with with some with some of it but not all of it most people use it or want to use it and should use it for themselves so with that said everyone's got an exit price where they're willing to not and i don't mean exit in terms of fiat money everyone's got an exit price at which they're willing to trade their their crypto for whether it be trading it directly for assets or property or artwork or whatever it is or trade it back to fiat money to pay off the mortgage everyone's going to have a point um most, or most individual people are going to have a point where at least a fair chunk or, or proportion of their holdings are going to need to to be discharged for that which means that will probably be snaffled up pretty quick um, by the institutions and so the thing that always plays on my mind with all this is there's there's elements there's great things about a finite supply of, of bitcoin uh and and obviously the, the lower denomination in satoshi makes it a, a, a more than capable of a fully functioning global financial system but what happens in the event that we do get a big surge of institutional uh and corporate money and 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 even from that government money coming in to holding bitcoin on reserve do do we end up with a system effectively much like the one we have now where the bulk of the wealth is still just controlled by central authority um and th and that you know th that may be a story 50 or 100 years down the track but uh it, it, it's it's i wouldn't say concerning or worrying but it makes me think about how this does play out if we continue to see you know fiat money relative terms you know bitcoin go to you know 500,000 a million dollars you know the average person isn't going to go you know there's never going to see a bitcoin in their whole life um so i don't know it's 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 a fascinating study in terms of a completely new monetary system is how it's unwinding and what it might look like but you know there are there are, there are just things that i think still need to be considered going forward yeah certainly there's a lot of lot of avenues we could go down with that you know yeah to me as i said earlier it's more the 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 suddenness of this rally that makes me think this feels you know feels a bit like late 2017 in some ways um where you've got a lot of people um there's a lot of sort of euphoria from people who are bitcoin holders it doesn't seem as extreme as 2017 in terms of we've not got the alt season, we've not got the ICO boom, we've not got, um, you know, I'm still not hearing, although, you know, people aren't going out on the street so much, but I'm not hearing randomers talk about it. You know, I'm not yeah. overhearing it. Um, you know, bartenders aren't asking me about it, which, which all happened in 2017. Um, but there is just the, it's just the suddenness of it, it happened. And it was interesting, in 2017, it was in October as well, when uh, the price really started to go nuts. And it was October mm. this time as well. Um, for me, and this is one of the, you know, I am a Bitcoiner, right? I love the asset. I, um, I think Satoshi did, you know, this is a real marvel of the 21st century with what he did. Um, but for me, when I'm, if I just look at the price and the way, the, the way it trades, the way Bitcoin trades, those, you know, and 2014-15 is different, right? And the, so the earlier booms. But it was a smaller asset then. But if we look at 2016, 17, mm. um, and then you look at 2019, 2020, right? The big rises in Bitcoin, they occurred to a backdrop of tech stocks in general doing really well. 
And to me, I can't really shake the notion that this, uh, the big surges in Bitcoin arrive as the, you know, the, the afterburner of this uh, intra investor interest in tech stocks. This is just something that carries on next. You know, this is just the, uh, you know, I call it in, uh, in a piece I wrote today, uh, you know, the, the digestif, right? The, uh, the cigar at the end of a, of a feast. You've got, the, you've got all the tech stocks doing really well. And that drives then interest in, ooh, this is other technology that's really interesting as well. And that drives these grand speculative surges into these areas. Mm. Now, so this is, only a, no, the, but I'm talking about price action. So I'm not talking about the integrity of Bitcoin as an asset. But the, in terms of the surges of it, 2016, 2017, you know, like you were saying how, um, you know, it looks parabolic when actually it doesn't need to be parabolic. Like there are loads of times if you look at the chart on Bitcoin, where it looks parabolic and actually, you know, it carried on going, you know, thousands of percent higher way later on. But at the time, it would have looked like a vertical, almost vertical yeah. line going up. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's what we're seeing now. I mean, I would not be surprised at all. And I don't mind either because I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a hodler, right? You're, so, not a no, you're not a no-coiner. Oh, no, certainly not. And nor, ha nor have I been for many a year. Uh, you know, before, <laughs> before I had this job, I was, I was a Bitcoiner. But, um, and there's a lot of no coiner salt going around Ooh. on the internet these days, I must say. Um, you just need to look at the uh, comments, comment section on the mainstream papers anytime they mention Bitcoin and you see it's just a plethora of no coiners still, still going on about tulips. It's, 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 it's a 10, this is a 10 year long tulip mania. Right. The, um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a tulip mania that comes back three <laughs> years later, right? You know, it, it, it peaks and it bursts and then it comes back three years later magically. Everybody forgot, forgets that it's a bubble apparently and then they just come back. Uh, it well, is quite... Doesn't that, doesn't that then, doesn't that uh, invalidate the idea oh, of that it was a bubble previously then? 100%. Oh, no, no, yeah, yeah, no, Sam, I'm, I'm just joking. Like, no, no, the, no, the... but that, that like people, people, I know, I know you get it, but there were people that will be listening to this and thinking it is, it's a bubble that pops and it's a bubble that pops and it's a bubble that's going to pop again and go to zero. And I think that they need to understand that it, 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 you know, bubbles do come and go and pop, but none of them last a decade. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. Well, I mean, going through history, there, are, there will have been bubbles that grew over a decade first. Like there was enough positive price action first before it became that I, bubble. I don't think, area, we'll, I, I don't say. think we'll find one that, that has gone on so long and burst. Well, maybe, well, we'll fight. Well, maybe we can, we can look back on it and come back to it next week. I would research I, project. <laughs> yeah, no, I think for that companies like, um, I wonder how I, I'm trying to remember how may, how long South sea had been, uh, when it, how long it had been incorporated before it started getting uh, completely crazy. But anyway, it like anyway. It, the, I, the idea of Bitcoin being called a bubble as it was in 2017, Everybody called it a bubble in 2017, having this gigantic victory lap in 2018. Yeah. Um, and yet now here it is. I mean, the, <laughs> yeah. you, people were sharing these charts of historical bubbles uh, where they compared Bitcoin to it. Um, it was this great one, I believe it was originally from Morgan Stanley and just from their research reports, mm. where it just showed um, the years before the bubble and the years after the bubble. And it was all these classic ones, Mississippi, South Sea, mm. uh, gold during various periods, uh, tulips as well were included in it and um, you know they included it and this was in 2018 so I think it was one year after uh, you know the the grand peak for Bitcoin 
But anyway, and, and so it was like, oh, look, you know, this is just following the classic line for any bubble. And then, uh, you know, then, you know, Bitcoin did what it did and it recovered. And in 2019, it was, it was back to race again. So the, the person who made it actually updated the chart. And so actually it shows that Bitcoin is not like the other bubbles, actually. Mm. You know, it, this is in none of the other bubbles. Does it you know, resurrect itself suddenly, uh, you know, just uh, two years later? Right? It's not it's not the same. But and yet you still have so many people crying foul about it. So I mean, it's probably a sign that we're not in you know peak Bitcoin. You know, we're not in uh, you know the really bullish surge where too many people are just chasing it for the sake of chasing it. Yeah. If I, we're still here, if we're still seeing so much contrary, well, not contrarian, but anti, like at, like rabid anti Bitcoin uh, all over the place. I mean, you can see it. It's all over the place on Twitter, sure, and there are still uber bulls on Twitter, of course. But you see it, like you say, in uh, you know, newspaper comment sections. Mm. Um, uh, it's still very present. Yeah, I think the other. So you mentioned before about how the, about it being a technology play, and I agree with that. And we also mentioned sort of off the top about it being a sort of supply and demand play, uh, which is also relevant. And I think it's also and and when you go back through these cycles, through these peaks and troughs. It's also it's also a um, geopolitical play as well, and that's what I find so interesting and fascinating about it is that there are so many aspects which make up uh, how it moves and how it trades and who buys it and when they buy it. Uh, that that it, it is it's just such you know I I think in fifty years time when 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 you know there are historical financial economics courses on on the crypto economy and bitcoin and things like that uh the 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 way we look at it will be it's so unique because it's such a unique it's such a unique asset uh and payment system and network that that, that how we look back on it in another 50 years time will be will be a fascinating study um and so, yeah, you know, I think it's a crisis thing as well. So, you, like, you, as you said, sort of October, it really sort of went up a notch, um, which I think is part in part a technology play, but in part also, I think, a crisis play because that also coincides with the changing of the guard in the US. Uh, it, 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 it sort of ties in with the exiting of Britain from the EU. It, it continues to um, support the idea of, you know, the, the intervention of central banks uh, during the the crisis, the the public health crisis last year, that's, that's beset the world, um, and so you know, in a crisis situation, which is what one you know, you can't deny that that's what the world somewhat is in at the moment. Uh, that it also t- does tend to to do well as as somewhat of a safe haven uh, relative to the to those sorts of crises. I mean, in 2013, one of the predominant reasons as to why it boomed back then was due to the Cypriot banking crisis and uh, the US hitting their debt ceiling. Um, so, you know, th- those are the sorts of events that also do tend to shift, uh, you know, the, at least the fiat relative price of, of Bitcoin. So, you know, those things yeah. continue to play out right now as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a good point to make. I think the, um, if memory serves, Bitcoin had a nice big spike in 2016 after, uh, after the Brexit referendum. Yeah, uh, which uh, you know may have been that, or it may have been hype for the halvening, which uh, was sort of around a similar kind of time. Just both coincided. It's probably an, an element yeah. of both. Yeah, 
Um, but on the on sort of the geopolitical geopolitical uh, side, I wonder. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly distrust in sort of traditional finance is definitely part of it. Like we, as you're talking about with the Cypriot banking crisis, uh, you know, the Iranian take on Bitcoin I find very interesting. The government seems to be really quite pro Bitcoin in a lot of ways. Mm. Uh, they're all about you know they they view Bitcoin mining as any other kind of commodity mining. Well, it gets, it gets so them sanctions for a start. Oh uh, yeah, right. Um, although in, at the same time, it's like, what are they using the Bitcoin for? Because I don't think they're paying purely for Bitcoin. It's more to get money into a bank account that has dollars in it. But yeah, absolutely. you know, it's there's that. Um, you know, it has a lot of flexibility with that. All there's that great video. Uh, this is from I think this would have been from early 2019, maybe even late 2018, where um, you know, there's a. It's just this video some guy filmed where it's a mosque in Iran. And they're farming Bitcoin there. You know, they're mining it. And you got yeah. all of these GPUs taken away. And the reason they're there is just because uh, all the mosques in Iran get free energy. So this is, you know, a great place to do it, even though it's really hot and everything. There's, um, you know, they've got free energy so they can do it. And uh, the government is okay with it. But at well, the same I, I time, just, I wonder how much... Sorry, I'll just chip in just quickly. I think we'll see more of that. What? Uh, Bitcoin mining in mosques or... Uh, well, Bitcoin mining in, with um, you know state-controlled energy uh, institutions and, and infrastructure. Right. Yeah, right. If, if you've state got the, subsidized if, energy, yeah, state subsidized uh, you know crypto mining. I I, I think it's particularly with uh, what people would maybe consider as emerging markets, which is really just speak for those that aren't as rich as you know sort of the US and UK and Europe and so forth. I think we'll see a lot mm. more of that. Well, I mean, arguably, you know, the bulk, probably the biggest cohort of Bitcoin mining in the world takes place in, uh, in Xinjiang. So, yeah. you know, in this uh, half of all Chinese Bitcoin mining takes place in one area, which is Xinjiang. Xinjiang isn't small by any measure. It's six times, more than six times larger than the UK in terms of landmass. Um, but most of it takes place there because it's dirt cheap energy. I mean, that's, mm -hmm. that's why... I mean, there are all these governments sort of um, all these government programs there to try and get people to go there. Well, to get well, if you're the right ethnicity, right? If if you're a Uyghur, you're kind of there by choice. You're not allowed to go anywhere else in China. Uh, but they're always trying to get Han Chinese to go out there as well. And one of the way, we, we, ways that they try and draw um, draw that is with you know, if you're a business that uses energy, you know, it's really cheap here and things like that. There's lots of subsidies. I remember a chap uh, who worked uh, for Coin Gecko, I think. Back in the day, uh, telling me how he knew people, uh, he knew Bitcoin miners in uh, China who were getting who would, uh, through the cr corruption of the local CCP official, like they were actually getting literally free energy. I mean, they they were mining, they were burning, you know, huge amounts of uh, of, of GPU usage. Those ASICs were taken away around the clock, <laughs> and uh, you know they were getting it all for free, you know, because you know they just bribed the right guy uh, yeah. in the CCP. Um, and this throws, it throws a whole moral side to it as well, because I mean, I'm a Bitcoiner, but yet, you know, it's the, the Communist Party of China is effectively has dominion over half of the total uh, BTC mine. Well, not half, but, you know, it's a, it's a yeah. large. Uh, in fact, it is, you no know, 65% of all hash, hash rate uh, comes out of China. So, you know, the CCP, if they wanted to, could, could really mess around with that if they wanted to. And this opens a whole debate over, well, what could they really do? Because the rest of the network still has a massive say on it. Yeah. But the fact that, like, you know, half of Chinese hash rate comes out of Xinjiang, which is, you know, 
the you know the um you know the, the same scene as all of these absolutely atrocious human rights abuses mm. uh, you know not no less than uh you know murder uh crimes against humanity just the worst abuses that humanity is capable of are taking place in the same area maybe a very big area but the same area um as uh, as all this bitcoin mining right you know as uh, it's very you know it throws a big moral moral issue onto the side of it but i think for me with some of the when we're talking about a geopolitical sort of edge on it the you know in a lot of way bitcoin's kind of like an anti-socialism thing so in every oh, area you go to where the currency is collapsing and they've got some kind of internet you'll find that there's actually a big bitcoin like uh, community there like venezuela is a big part of it iran has a terrible currency so you know they're a part of it too um Imagine, imagine if Bitcoin was around during the Weimar Republic. Yeah, quite. There's, um, there's that <laughs> chap, uh, Plan B on Twitter, who say who uh, who likes to do this attribution of um, the the price of gold in German marks, and uh, and it would have been Deutschmarks back then oh. um, during the period. And he's just making the the comparison of Bitcoin with. The price of uh, you know the dollars to Bitcoin is the same as gold to marks back uh, back during the the Weimar hyperinflation because there's one point on that chart where it really just it, you know it's almost level for a while and then it just suddenly goes utterly parabolic and it does that for years and years and years. Well, and I so mean, sort but of that, that, that this is... yeah, and but that's that's got to be. I mean, when you think about that, and you think about what. The, the, the kind of intervention that central banks are having on economies now as well. And you can't help but think that, you know, that what is happening with Bitcoin that's also happening in stocks is a lot to do with that, with, with central bank intervention, money printing, quantity easing rounds, 16, 17 and 54. Uh, and because, and because at the end of the day, when we when we price it all back in into something like USD, everything's sort of heading in the same direction, and you can't. It's hard to see an end to that while central banks continue to do what they're doing. And I think that's. I mean, it's it's kind of like it's this weird situation where if you're an asset owner, it's it's just a it's it's party time, right? Because you know it's 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 rewarding asset owners with higher asset prices, um, and you it's hard to see that coming to an end until they start to sh turn off that tap, basically. And 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 much like though that period, I think you know we we are seeing I think we're seeing hyperinflation in assets, really. When when you relate them back to to fiat money. Yeah, I think you know we've discussed uh, in a previous podcast regarding how it's almost like in uh, for certain financial assets, it's like there's a different exchange rate for the for the pounds that you're bringing to the table, right? Yeah. It's like your pounds are normal, and you can buy a Freddo with them, and it's roughly you know it, it is an inflated price, but it's man, you know, I love it's not the way it's not how cheap it used to be, but it's nothing extreme. <laughs> but then when you take them to a brokerage account, it's like everything is like way 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 more expensive, right? Yeah, I mean, um, like, so t today, right? But the I'm, thing is, that only. I was just say, t today I'm, I'm looking at my stock portfolio, and I was, you know, I've, I've got my next round of investment to make, and I'm like, I don't know what to buy. Everything's so expensive. <laughs> well, 
I mean, there are plenty of cheap things in, in the markets out there. Uh, you know, there are these things called value stocks, which, of course, have been out of favor for many a year. And, and now, uh, you know, some of them are very cheap. Well, yeah. I mean, but I, I know I do understand what you mean. I don't think. Let me put it this know, way. With the stocks that I can trade on without our uh, compliance trading restrictions are all very expensive. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, it is an interesting sort of topic of that i mean how close to you know because in you know with weimar right it was it, it suddenly reached a tipping point and suddenly that was it was the prices are going up you know they're doubling halfway through the day you, know, you yeah. needed to you need to get your wages paid earlier in the day yeah. in order to be able to buy things uh, and then your wages would be increased at the end of the day you know all of this stuff you wonder how when that happened and what the what the dynamic was which suddenly made it from just rising inflation to hyperinflation. And what made it the tipping point? Because it really was a perception thing that sort of begins that. But for when, and then it's interesting again to try and compare that to where we are now, uh, where you know it's not like money is being jammed into the economy here. So it's not like the price of Freddos aren't even a pound yet, right? They're, they're yeah. not. This inflation is not being exhibited in the real economy. It is being, I mean, and we do, we do have inflation, but by, you know, by all means we have it, but it's not high. It's not double digit inflation, though it is for some things, but not for other things. It's, we don't have anything close to hyperinflation, except when you go to the financial system, you find these really strange things like, you know, Tesla going up by how many billion in market cap, you know, just today and yesterday. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's going up and, you know, and things like Bitcoin, which is going up, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars a day now. Absolutely. It's it's very strange. But it makes you wonder just like where, where does this actually connect with the real world? Right. So, you know, if I I don't think it does. Right. I don't think it does. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's the thing. But there has to be some, these effects in markets affect the real world. Ultimately, there's all because I think the, it's just how, in what way they affect them. Right. So when does the amount of central bank balance sheet expansion reach a point where you know inflation actually starts rising so if you and people think you know the bank of japan is proof of the fact that this hasn't uh, this ultimately central banks can go put negative interest rates on they can buy all the bonds that exist they can start buying stocks that as well and it still isn't going to create really high inflation in the real economy well um I... so that's japan not over here and like we've just there's a different dynamic i think yeah in terms of the, the manner in which the economies are structured i, I don't think we'll see it <clears throat> properly until until we're past this covid thing uh yeah and until until we can function in the economy and everyone can function in the economy i, I again i use the term loosely but sort of as per normal um then then we won't we won't really see it it's when everyone's sort of kind of operating again uh as as per normal when i think what we'll start to see is you know how like every retail outlet seems to have a sale on i think you'll start to see those come come off because they can't they can't afford to keep maintaining those kinds of prices so you know for for so one of the things that's, that happens, obviously, as you, you're, you're well, well aware, but you know, people listening might not be, is that when you go through great periods of technology advancement, 
particularly in the last few years with, you know, the cost, you know, re- reduction in cost, but increase in power of things like semiconductors, uh, solar panels, all those sorts of things. You find that, um, you know, you, the, the cost to deliver a good or service, uh, the, the cost can, it can somewhat maintain uh, a, a plateau or continue to even be cut because the cost to deliver that gets cheaper uh, via these, these, these advances. Now, that doesn't always necessarily continue into perpetuity. That's, a, that's not something that always continues to happen. And I think we're probably going to get to a point where the, you know, there's only so much you can reduce the cost to produce uh, and then actually have that for sale to generate a margin. So many companies now, this is, I think there's been a margin squeeze on businesses and this is the, you know, this isn't applicable to every business in the world, but for a lot of businesses, I, I, you know, it, more traditional kind of um, uh, industrial style uh, companies is that there's been a margin squeeze and you only need to look at something like airlines to see how thin they operate on margins. And we've talked about before, same with the hospitality industry, the margins in that, that industry are razor thin. So there's only a point, into which you can continue to cut prices. There's only a point in which a flight to to Marbella can be cut until the, the the company that's delivering that service just has to increase prices. And so people don't have an option except but to pay a higher price. Now they will either pay it or they don't. If they don't pay it, then that company very quickly goes out of business. And then those that have maybe not squeezed their margins as hard and have got more wiggle room then absorb those businesses. I think what we're going to see over the next decade is a lot of consolidation in a number of industries off the back of what's happened over the last year and probably going to happen over most of this year economically. And that you will find that those that have squeezed margins so tight to remain competitive will no longer be able to be competitive because they'll have to increase prices or they'll fail. Uh, and the only way that they can continue to survive is if they get bailout funds or, or if they are given, you know, gratuitous um, uh, extensions on their covenants. But I think there's going to be a point where the, the banks are just going to go, you know, no, we can't now absorb those costs because our margins are razor thin too. Uh, and they're going to call in those debts. And a lot of companies, I think we're going to see a lot of companies go out of business, uh, employment, unemployment rise, uh, and and a lot of consolidation. So it's almost going to be a bit of a shakeout of industry, I think, over the next decade. Yeah, I think there's definitely plenty of that that's going to come. That's going to come. I think the um, yeah, I think we do need to wait though until the end of the lockdown for any definitely. of that consolidation could even happen in the first definitely. place, right? You need yep. to allow economic forces, and that sort of brings. It's a question of when when the lockdown is actually going to happen because yeah. even with vaccines and everything, it seems like uh, there are a lot of people who are pretty keen on just keeping everything you know suppressed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But Sam, uh, I must I must interject here. I know we're supposed uh, we've to be drinking beer as well. <laughs> we are drinking beer, Sam. We just haven't mentioned it. We haven't talked. So uh, I'll let you go first. What have you? What have you? You're probably on your second one by now. I am. I'm well through. I'm well through my second one. Uh, so my first one is uh, a DDH double Nipa. Um, and it's it's German actually. It's from the Yankee and Kraut company, and it's called and and you're gonna love this one. The name of this beer is called Get Woke. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I, I do like the amount of acronyms going on there. So this is a double dry hops, double New England IPA made in Germany. That's right. And do you know what? When I opened it and I, and I had my first sip, I was like, you know what? That really tastes like a German beer. And it's hard to quantify what a German beer tastes like, but it was very German in its taste. Uh, and there's something about it. And it's from, uh, so the, the brewery itself is actually located uh, in the same city uh, as the Audi uh, headquarters in, in, in uh, Ingolstadt. Uh, it's probably the worst. Again, here we go with the uh, pronunciations again. Ingolstadt uh, in Germany, uh, which is where Audi's HQ is located. But yeah, this is Get Woke by Yankee and Kraut. Uh, and it was really bloody good. It's a 7.6%. Uh, oh, not bad. So it's, it's a fair whopper. Uh, great can, great design, great taste. Really enjoyed that. Um, and so I'm also going to deliver a quick rating while I'm at it. And if I pull up our rating system, uh, yeah, look, I enjoyed that a lot. I'm going to give that a B plus actually. That's something I would definitely drink again. Um, yeah. Double the, the get woke. Happy days. <laughs> oh, very good. I hope you feel suitably woke now, Sam. <laughs> I, to be, did you know what? Right, the, I probably would have given it a B, but the fact that it's called get woke means that, uh, I'm going to give it a B plus. <laughs> The uh, the one, first one I've been uh, quaffing away at is uh, it's called well it's made by Isle of Arran. Uh, it's another Scottish beer. Uh, this is Blonde Premium Beer. It's five percent. Uh, it's got a nice nice scenic picture of the Scottish Highlands here. Uh, quality is in our nature. It says, um, and this is uh, this is actually in Arran actually. So it's probably not even, it doesn't even count as Scottish Highlands. I guess it's probably a, an image of the Arran. Aaron Peaks, perhaps. Uh, but no, it's, um, yeah, this is actually very good indeed uh, for what it is. And it's very widely available as well. I think, I believe I got this at, uh, at a co-op. Um, and it's won a load of awards. They're very proud about that. They're putting a, a sticker on the top with uh, the World Beer Awards, uh, winning a, uh, a few of these. Gotten uh, the Scottish uh, Beer Awards as well. A regional winner in 2018 and 2017. It won silver. Uh, and then it has a statement saying it's Europe's best, um, which is, yeah. So the World Beer Awards, Europe's best. Uh, one of the best beers in Europe, apparently. But no, Isle of Arm Blonde uh, does taste very good, actually. Uh, it doesn't taste 5%, uh, but it, feel, it does taste quite rich as well, which is nice. So it does feel, um, you know, it's good for cold weather, even though it's a blonde beer. You know, mm. The only thing with blonde beers, you'd be, you'd be wanting Summer, something like that. Yeah. Summer. Yeah. But this is, actually, uh, this is actually quite sweet and rich. Uh, I think I will give this one... I think I'll give this a B. I think it's, uh, for what it is, I think it's very good. And it's not very pricey or anything like that either. So uh, it's a very good indeed. What's your second beer, Sam? What have you been on? Uh, so my second one is called, uh, where's, where is it? The Hollow Hills. And this is from the North Brewing Co., uh, which is up at uh, Taverners Walker Estate in Leeds. So this is a British beer. Uh, and it is just a straight out IPA. No, no other fancy acronyms, just IPA, uh, 6.5%. Um, and again, it's, um, it's, it's really, I'm really enjoying this one as well. Uh, maybe I've just had one of those weeks. I don't know, but, um, it's very easy to drink. Doesn't, it's not, it's not overly heavy. Again, I think I, I've always sort of, I, I, I continue to come back to this idea that I think that the 6.5% around that mark. Uh, is a good alcohol content for a beer um, to enjoy it without it being too heavy. 
to enjoy multiple cans. You know, it's something that you, you know you you could have a, a couple of. And uh, and yeah, look, I'm enjoying this one quite a lot at the moment. It's uh, I was just looking at the kind of barley and oats hops that they use: Lotus plus Citra plus Columbus hops. So uh, an interesting little mix there. I think I think one day if we go into a fourth lockdown, I'm going to do some <laughs> sort of course on uh, hop varieties uh, to understand uh-huh. what they all are. I think. But no, enjoying this one a lot. So uh, not yet finished it, but when we conclude our podcast, actually probably pretty shortly, I'll uh, I'll give it a rating. Oh, very good. Yeah, maybe when we're in tier eight or something, we'll actually be brewing our own beer at home. You know what? I saw the funniest meme before. It was a picture of like the kids from the Hunger Games and it was like tier 16 gets to battle tier 14 in order to go to Audi in uh, tier four. <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. The, um, uh, you know, one thing I did notice actually, when I was, when I was in Sweden, I remember um, at the the hardware store well like the almost like the sort of home you know home uh, goods store like bq um, uh almost no it's more like you know the what's the word it's like kitchenware it's like uh, cutlery and everything okay. so what would the ikea no no not <laughs> ikea but almost almost anyway but i remember on big display of the windows uh, they did have home bargains <laughs> That kind of thing, but in Sweden it wouldn't be it wouldn't be bargain. You'd wouldn't be, be paying no. out the nostrils for this stuff. <laughs> but yeah, but they were putting like in the front you know room. Like there's obviously something we either wanted to sell, which probably I could imagine being very popular was um, home brewery kits and large ah, home brewery kits. Right. Now we're talking big steel drums and everything. Um, and it you know it may have been that you know beer in Sweden is quite expensive um maybe that was driving it but i feel that kind of thing you know just over time people are the the more you pen people inside they're going to start making their own their own stuff um you, you yeah, know I mean, what i've look- had some i've had some cracking home brews over my time and not ones that i've done like i had i had some family in holland and i remember that my was, i think it's my great great uncle uh or, or like great second cousin or something like that anyway Dutch, Dutch love their beer, and uh, and he brewed this twelve percent home brew, which was oh, just yeah. genuine rocket fuel, but it was delicious, and um and and so, and also back in Australia, home brews actually quite quite a, quite a thing, and a, and a mate of mine had uh, had been brewing his own home brew in 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 Adelaide. He lived in Adelaide, which is actually has some fantastic breweries uh, and some great beers in Adelaide, uh, the home of Coopers. Uh, fantastic beers. If you, the Cooper's Sparkling Ale and Cooper's Pale Ale are two of the finest mass-produced beers uh, you'll ever drink. Um, I, sh- I should do a run of, of some Aussie beers maybe in the in the coming weeks and and get get some people more interested in those. But anyway, uh, homebrew. You can buy homebrew kits from a mass market brewery and then brew it yourself at home. And uh, you know, I'm I'm all for it. I think homebrewing's uh, the way of the future, man. <laughs> Yeah, it does feel like uh, you know in Scotland with Brewdog and everything, uh, there is a lot of there is there is a lot of that going on. Um, I can't say I've had some great home brews in my time. From there, <laughs> you know, I have had I have had homebrew beer. It has not always been as successful as one would like, uh, but you know, it is uh, you know it is uh, it is pastime. And I think the more the longer people are uh, stuck in lockdown, the more they're probably gonna 
need some kind of hobby to keep them to keep them occupied. Yeah. And it doesn't look like lockdowns in this country are really going to end in any meaningful way soon, sadly. But uh, Sam, there was something um, you know just before before we got to the the beer review bit. Mm. When you're talking about you know inflation and things like that and how it's going to squeeze businesses and everything, you see, you know how earlier on in this uh, in our discussion, like to me, it looks over the last recent history, right? We're talking the last four years, it looks to me like Bitcoin really blows up during periods uh, when tech dominance has already been established. So once investors know or that you know they've seen that there is a big strong rally in tech, that's when they really go for Bitcoin. Yeah. That and I find that so I think and I think that for me that Bitcoin is still behaving like a tech stock on steroids. Yeah, that's fair, fair to say. Yeah. So with that in mind, I think that once lockdowns are over and we really start getting back to business, I think that's when the real cost of all this government spending is going to be realized. I think that's when um, you know prices are really going to go up, uh, and some of that's going to be from demand, from people just wanting to do shit, uh, <laughs> from being all the time. Like I mean, I really feel that to me, like just being here. Oh uh, man, I it, know. It's gone yeah. when it's when it's everything's really contained. Everybody you know wants to, what everyone wants to meet, but they don't really want to. You know, it's, there's all this, um, you know, people meeting in twos in the park and things like that. Yeah. It just, Do you know what? Uh, I, I am so fucking sick of the park. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to the cinema. I want to take my wife out for a, for a meal. I, I want to take you know the family to a, a, a an adventure playground or something with rides and shit. If the park can go fuck off for all I can. <laughs> I just want to go to the pub. You know, if you <laughs> by this point, in terms of my political affiliation, like forget Republican. I'm just publican. Publican. Like, that, that is. <laughs> That is all. That is all that really matters to me you at this point. Start a political point. party just called the Publicans. The Publicans, yeah. But in terms of like, when, I think when everything gets or the public rats, the public rats. <laughs> yeah, I think. Well, maybe we're, there's probably a few of these. Or yeah, publicists maybe. Um, yeah. You know, I think. I think there's once. Well, once we do get to some, you know, degree of normalcy, I do think inflation is going to go up. Yeah, I, um, I agree. And I don't, but I'm not talking about, you know, really high. I'm just talking about it'll be high. And maybe that'll enter a new dynamic where we enter sort of a 1970s period period of higher inflation. Mm. Or maybe not. It all depends. I mean, inflation was trending higher through the 60s as well, which some people kind of forget. But in terms of the, um, you know, in terms of how asset prices behave in that environment, um, I think if we see high, more higher than normal inflation, that's going to be really bad for tech. I think the because the way tech is um, sort of been structured as a business, where they're these really high growth companies, they don't pay dividends, they reinvest everything in R and D, and investors and banks are very happy to give them money because they uh, are sure that they're going to get you know something in the future. But when investors are less, um, you know, when investors you know don't know what their money is going to be worth in the future, they're less. Um, you know, they're less sort of open to this kind of proposition where they just give uh, some guy in a startup a load of cash and then he says, I'm going to change the world. I think that changes a lot in inflation. And I think that'll take a lot of wind out of tech. I think that'll, and that'll make people reconsider things like, you know, value and uh, capital, uh, capital intensive businesses rather than mm. capital light businesses, you know, dividend pairs over uh, tech companies. And I think that'll take the wind out of tech and 
in doing so will take wind out of the Bitcoin rally. I'd be interested to know what you make of that because this goes very contrary to the, the Bitcoin uh, ideal and the Bitcoin narrative. You know, Satoshi's white pair, this is all about scarcity. This is all about being an inflation hedge. But yeah. the manner in which it trades, to me, looks like it would get taken out if inflation arose, even if it was designed not to be. What do you make I, of that? I think the thing is, is that we don't, we just don't know yet because we've never had a high inflationary yeah. period to see what actually does happen. For decades, yeah. <laughs> do you know, like for decades, like since the 90s, right? Early 90s? was the last high well i know i know in australia like in the early 90s was a was a period so i mean we don't know it, it should but we but we don't know until we see it um the, the the central banks have been so specific on controlling inflation within their target ranges uh and they're they're, they're now active they're saying they're actively you know they're they're looking to 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 have inflation move higher. We haven't yet seen if you know if their inflation targets start to move up to like four five percent, and then all of a sudden inflation overshoots, and we're looking at inflation rates of like six percent, even close to double figures. You know some some shit's gonna hit the fan then, and that's when we're gonna see just what Bitcoin's real value proposition in those sorts of conditions are. Uh, it yeah. should do well. That's the design. If it does, we, we kind of just have to wait and see. But I, I would think that for an investor to not have part of your portfolio exposed to it so that if we do enter a really high inflationary period, if, you, if we enter a high inflationary period and you don't have a portion allocated to that, then I think that's not managing your risk smartly enough. But at the same time, well aware that if it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, that could be detrimental to its to its price in that period. So, I just think, you know, it, it yeah, I, I think that people that continue to dismiss it are doing themselves a disservice when it comes to you know wealth building, but also wealth protection as well. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, ultimately, we have yet to see what inflation does to. Uh, you know, forget about Bitcoin. I mean, we're just talking about the NASDAQ in general. Yeah. We're talking about, you know, the, the fangs, uh, you know, the big players we're talking about Tesla, we're talking about Apple, we're talking about Google, you know, the none of like, you know, you know, Google, especially, and Tesla, especially, really, you know, these companies have not been exposed to a high inflation environment ever. No, right? I mean, no. they've just not been around. They weren't around at the time. And it's the same for most of them. Uh, you know, it's the same for Netflix. Um, you know, it's the yeah. same for Amazon. The, the only ones These that guys, have seen they haven't through, been around. Yeah, the only ones that have seen through it are Microsoft and Apple. Oh, and maybe, right. maybe Cisco to a certain extent. But, but mate, like if you talk about big tech, Apple and Microsoft, they've been around long enough. They've seen the, the peaks, the troughs, the inflation, the low inflation, high rates, low rates, and everything in between. Um, the rest of them, you're right, haven't. Right. So I think when, if we do get that, I mean, it'll be a learning experience for everybody. I mm. would have thought that it won't be good for tech. And in that same way, it wouldn't be good for Bitcoin because or people view Bitcoin as, uh, you know, Bitcoin absorbs tech flows and, that, and that's what pushes it around. But 
you know, at the same time, you know, the, the, you know, Bitcoin is meant to be sort of managed on gold. So maybe its behavior will ultimately change. Yeah. I think, and I, I am open to the idea that the behavior Bitcoin will trade less as a tech stock and more as a hard asset um, so. during that kind of period. Yeah. And that's what the diehard guys, you know, that's what the, the true believers are like. This is a hard asset. Yep. It is the hardest asset you can get. And, uh, you know, maybe that's how his behavior will change. But we'll, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I would have thought that inflation is going to, you know, if inflation does arrive, the current dynamic has to end, which would mm. mean, you know, some kind of correction. But, you know, we'll see. And who knows, considering how Bitcoin's going by $2,000 a day and whatever. <laughs> um, I mean, it's hard to even you know, keep track of the damn price we, in we, terms of, you know, giving it some kind of range. We also but, have to consider that if inflation does get out of control, central banks are probably going to have to increase rates too. To, to try no, and they can't well, well it, i really don't think they will well this is this is this is the dichotomy right is that to keep it under control they they have to and if they don't then it gets out of control and then you know either way they're sort of they're damned if they do that they're damned if they don't uh so as we march towards a potential outcome out of all of this these lockdown conditions where i, I mean you know to think that we're not going to get inflation is pretty hard to to stomach. But you know, if 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 they do increase rates, if they have no other choice but to increase rates, uh, some shit's going to hit the fan. <laughs> and if they yeah. don't, it's going to hit the fan on you know on the consumer on as well on, on individuals. And and we're gonna there's I, I like to try and remain as optimistic as I can about about the world and things, but. It seems that that the the way they kick the can down the road just keeps kicking the can, and as it kicks it down the road, it turns into a fucking giant bomb. That at some point it just has to explode. Yeah. So the way I, I see that is, I think central banks are going to deliberately lag the inflation. So they will deliberately not arrest the inflation as soon as it arrives. Mate, they're going to be you know there's going to be champagne parties from all of these guys. Like they will they will be celebrating this thing that has been. A, you know, we've not been able to create for decades has suddenly or suddenly arrived here. We must not do anything. We can't do anything that is going to stop it while it's in its infancy. We need to let this thing go and go. So I think they're deliberately going to lag it. But the social, the gonna, social implications of that are massive right now. Find a central banker who is genuinely fuck. interested <laughs> in the social implications of their actions. <laughs> they, like to them, what this is going to do is evaporate. See, that's a, all the but that's a positive for Bitcoin. That's kind of what I'm saying, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, like I, I get like. Listen, I understand the you know the dream, the dream of Bitcoin, the ideal. It's just the um, oh, yeah, and, and you can see from from people who are really into it. I mean, they're really attuned to that. They're all about this is. This is your salvation from from the central banking technocracy, etc. Mm. But I think what the like if we do get inflation and it arrives, these guys are going to be jumping for joy in private, and yeah. they're going to do all that they can to keep it going for a while. So they'll they'll hike rates, yeah. They'll make sure that the real rate of inflation, or the real interest rate, is going lower ultimately. So the, doing um, doing Matt Hancock style crocodile tears on CNBC. <laughs> Yeah, well, or maybe even not. I mean, these guys have no shame, man. Like they're not—they're <laughs> not politicians, right? They're—they're not accountable in the same way at all. No, they're like, not they're very happy. Like Christine Lagarde is happy going on damn like TV and saying, 
we should feel better about having employment than having our savings protected, right? The, they're all about sort of preaching at you from high that, you know, what we are doing is in the interest of everybody. So we're going to inflate all of this debt away and poor people, well, they can deal with it, right? Yeah. They are completely fine with that. They, they, there's no, they don't have, you know, they, they don't have this sort of capacity to, uh, to or even the self-awareness to <laughs> right, really recognize that, I don't think. So they're going to deliberately lag inflation. They'll mm. hike rates. You know, they'll say, oh, well, we hike rates. They'll make sure that inflation has destroyed enough debt first before yeah. they really try and do anything that will slow it down. But we'll, you know, we'll wait and see. But Sam, uh, I have had my second beer now. Uh, so this one, I don't think I introduced it earlier. This was Bellhaven. This mm. is one of Scotland's premier brewers Ooh. here. Oh, really? Uh, Bellhaven Brewery. This is it, their 80 shilling. So this is not Bellhaven Best, which you'll find in many a Scottish pub, but this is their 80 shilling. Uh, we shall find out what, um, you know, in terms of, I've not actually seen 80 shilling before, so that's why I decided to go for it. This is named after a, uh, a, uh, a name of a beer cask, apparently. That is what is said on the back, at least. Uh, this is only 3.9%. Um, it's quite mild, all things considered. Doesn't, yeah, probably does. Maybe, I would have said maybe 3%. It does taste quite light. Um, and it's kind of like an, a normal sort of English ale in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah. It does taste nice. goes down all right. And um, I think I would give this, all things considered, a... I mean, it's still not anything to write home about, but I think <laughs> I would give it... I think I shall give it... I shall be I shall be optimistic and I shall give it an A. Uh, there's maybe some some native bias here as I am, you know, obviously from Scotland. So I'll uh yeah, Bellhaven, I mean they do have the saltire on the top and everything. It is very, very patriotic to be br drinking this, almost like drinking tenants. <laughs> but yeah, I'll I'll give that one an A. I'll give well, one an a. the Hollow Hills from the North Brewing Co. Uh, in Leeds. Shout out to anyone in Leeds. I don't, I don't know anyone in Leeds for what it's worth. Um, very enjoyable. Very enjoyable indeed. Um, it, to be, it's hard to separate the two that I've had to, to tonight, actually, to be honest with you. A, uh, uh, usually, most of the time we've done these, I've kind of had one that's been really good and one, or, or one that's been better than the other. Um, but I can't split these, and uh, for that reason, uh, I'm giving I'm giving this a B plus as well. So I've I've actually had two really good, enjoyable beers tonight from uh, was it the Yankee and Kraut double uh, the DDH double Nipa and the North Brewing Co Hollow Hills. Congratulations! Uh, they're both double they're both B pluses for me. So that's a very good rating uh, on our very convoluted rating system. Almost said double B's there. I know, Almost I know, right? I know. Maybe that's the like that's the what is it? Seven point six and six point five percent talking. <laughs> well, maybe it's a fraudulent slip. Maybe you intended to give them double B's, but you <laughs> held back because it's such a high prestigious rating. It is a high prestigious rating, and like so, when I look at it, we've so far we've given one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight beers at double B plus, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, a double B. Um, so, considering we are 28 episodes in 
and probably somewhere in the vicinity of Jesus. I don't know what. Oh God, there's got to be a hundred plus beers on here now, doesn't there? Oh, God, I should count these at some point. That's um, you know, to get anywhere from B and above is a very good rate. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. We should probably do a chart at some point with uh, sort of average ratings uh, that we that we've given over time. I would it's imagine a bell curve. That your average. It's a bell curve. Yeah, My, mine's I... mine's slightly skewed to the higher end. Yours is yeah. you're a little bit more critical than I am. You'd be like, if we were a reality show, if we were Strictly Come Dancing, you'd be Craig Rebel Horwood on the end being like, no, darling. And I'd be like, um, is it, uh, what's her name? Uh, Motsi Babuse on the other end being like, I love the way that you're, that you're presenting your beers. <laughs> oh dear. You can, like, can, you tell, can you tell that I watch much Strictly Come Dancing? <laughs> maybe, maybe just, just mildly. <laughs> I in bullet, you know, yeah. did uh, oh no, I didn't. Ah, damn it. No, yeah, there was a there was a sublime beer I had a uh, a while back, and this was when I was back in London. Uh, it was called Juice Forsyth. That uh, you know, it was an incredible, an incredible beer. And what a name! Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it was. So, and I had the silhouette, obviously, of, of Bruce Forsyth on on the side. Uh, but it was an incredible beer, uh, and that one would have gotten a you know we'd be talking probably double B plus for that thing because it was really really good. I'm going to see if so, I can find that beer now. Yeah, it's made. Was Juice it Forsyth. <laughs> it? it was. Yeah, it, it tastes like passion fruit. It was like drinking passion fruit oh, beer. I love I like love really passion fruit. For, passion fruit into anything makes it better. So into a beer must be phenomenal. Oh well, maybe we can get some for a for a future podcast. Huh? We should try to do that. Yeah. Anyway, in terms of sort of closing comments, we have been on here for a little while. Uh, this is episode twenty-eight, the first of twenty twenty-one, first of the year. Mm-hmm. What would uh, what would you say going forward, Sam? What's the outlook? Huh. It's so crazy because you know, in our in our social day-to-day physical lives, uh, it's an absolute shit show. Um, the markets are as bemusing and bewildering as they've ever been. And now we've got these crypto markets that are booming, which is fantastic. So, you know, it's, it's, it's the good, the bad, the fantastic and the ugly just all wrapped into one. I mean, how people manage to maintain sanity, I don't know how we do. Clearly we don't just going off my last little Strictly Come Dancing rant at the end here. Um, you know, hopefully we just, you know, continue to deliver some light entertainment to people at the end of the week over a few beers and uh, just, I think everyone should keep a good perspective on life and the markets and know that it, everything always, anything that shit ends up being better eventually. Well, yeah, that's definitely the more optimistic, uh, optimistic view from you, Sam. I'll, uh, I'll take that uh, strictly come dancing metaphor. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we'll carry it, carry that. Um, Keep on dancing, I, I believe, is what they say at the end of the show. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, mate. Um, oh, bullshit. I think you watch it. Yeah. No, I don't. <laughs> Though I have, I have seen it when I was. Uh, I did. My my older sister used to be very very much into ballroom dancing, and uh, when I was uh, a young man, a very young man, I would say, <laughs> uh, we did used to watch it because she was like, you know, we've got to watch this thing. Uh, Bruce Forsyth was easily easily the best part of the show. I would say, <laughs> lo- looking back on it, 
In terms of looking forward into 2021, I think the only thing I can say is I'm going to be drinking an awful lot of beer this year. <laughs> yeah. I think that that is the only thing I, I can really take you know, as a certainty. Everything else seems to be very much uh, undecided looking forward. Uh, but that that is our uh, our twenty eighth episode, Sam. Uh, so uh, we should probably bid uh, bid our listeners adieu, and uh, we shall be back again with episode twenty nine. So if you are listening to this, uh, hopefully you will tune in then. We shall be back there. Uh, and interestingly, I have notes we have gotten over a hundred followers on Twitter, uh, which is uh, which Woo-hoo! is great actually. So if you are listening to this, be sure to give us a follow and be sure to maybe retweet this episode if you if you actually liked it. Um, uh, and if not, uh, well, we'll, we'll see you next time. So Sam, until then, we'll see you later.